Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Internet Marketing. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 53 of Internet Marketing, the show that helps you use the internet as part of your marketing machine. Coming up in today's show, questions you should ask your agency, a white paper on integrated search from Helen Trendle and some of her amazing acronyms, some information on Squidoo, and an interview with Steve Waddington all about online PR, coming up in Internet Marketing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Internet Marketing. I have on the line with me today, Mr. Daniel Rowles. Uh, good afternoon. That was a slight hesitance there in your voice, Daniel. Oh, I just, you know, I was just, uh, you came to me first. I was quite excited. <laughs> you were shocked, it doesn't, it doesn't know what time of day it is. That's the one thing that worries I, me. I've lost the plot a bit. I've, I've been training 12 people in internet marketing for three days straight up at um, the CIM headquarters here in Moore Hall. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit frazzled, I have to admit. So you've been working very hard, and you heard briefly there also, Mr. Kelvin Newman. Afternoon or morning or good night or whatever the time is. People are listening to this. Yeah. And Helen Trendle. Howdy. You see, that's what I like about Helen. She keeps it very short and sweet. <laughs> and it was kind of sound- as well. It was clever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, doesn't love the sound of a voice like me. That's the problem. You see. So, <laughs> so coming up in today's show, we have uh, questions you should ask your agency. Uh, we have a white paper on integrated search from Helen. And a little bit of news from Kelvin and uh, an interview um, from Kelvin, but more of that later. Dan, let's, let's um, talk about uh, questions you should ask your agency. Okay. Well, um, as I said, I've been running this kind of marketing course, digital marketing course, for the last three days. And the question that came out time and time again um, was lots of kind of big companies here, lots of smaller SMEs as well, saying, how can I work out if I can trust an agency? When I'm interviewing an agency, how do I work out how, you know, how efficient they're going to be, how well they're going to work? Now, um, I thought there's some key questions you can ask. Obviously, having worked with AI Digital and Site Visibility for ages, seen it from the inside point of view, and also working client-side now, see it from that point of view as well. So it's interesting to see what the best practice is and obviously get a bit of comment um, from Kevin and, and uh, Kelvin and Helen as well, just in terms of what they think of this stuff. Yes, feel so, free to dive in, um, team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the key things is, is the key question of, who exactly is going to be working on your project? And I, I'm, I'm very aware of um, some visibility do this, but a lot of agencies don't, is that you'll get someone come along to pitch to you, will be say the most fantastic thing in the world, and then when it comes to it, they've got absolutely nothing to do with the project whatsoever. Okay? Mm. So it's really important to meet your account manager you're going to be working with and actually find out the team you're going to be working with as well. 
yeah i think that i think that's really important for people to bear in mind because in any kind of business where you know when you're talking to a salesperson they're going to tell you what you want to hear um, and what you need to do is know who you're going to be dealing with on a day-to-day basis not just oh they sent out the whizzy guy um who was you know super confident and now you've got this other person who's not so great so yeah definitely ask to see who you're dealing with because that's going to make a big impact on how successful you, you get on with them really mm. yeah absolutely and i think this is an honesty level there as well um and the other thing, I mean, as well, I've seen happen in the past as well, is if you have to work with multiple suppliers, so if you haven't just got, you know, you might have an SEO agency, you might have somebody doing the email, you might have somebody doing the design side of things, um, how are they going to work together? How are they going to integrate? And it's, it's really worth getting all your agencies in one place at one time as well. Um, something that Site Visibility has done in the past, and I've, I've seen with a few of the agencies I've been working with as well, is you appoint a lead agency. Mm. So you say, okay, this agency is going to be in charge. The agency that's got the account management and the um, the project management experience looks after the other agencies as well. Wow. So, so you're suggesting multiple agencies? Well, I think you can have different – I mean, sometimes you have to have different people working on the same project. I mean, you're not always going to get um, a multi-service agency that can cover absolutely everything. Mm. So – it would be quite normal to have you know, different people working on things. Even if you had a full service agency, sometimes they'd be working with different tools and those kind of things as well. Mm. So basically, I think it's probably worth uh, making somebody the lead agency and they can do the account and the project management side of things uh, and add a bit of value from doing that as well. And that seems to work quite well as well. I think it's important when you're dealing you know, with any kind of integrated marketing strategy, you need to have someone either on your you know, in-house or one of the agencies working a bit like a quarterback you get in American football who's deciding what happens when you know that everyone's working as a team so yeah that's good to do that whether it's a you know an outside agency or someone inside you need to know that someone's looking at everything as it were whereas if you've got independent agencies working separately sometimes they can be cannibalizing yourself so it's kind of one person wants to do a certain thing with a press release whereas another person wants to do something else with the press release and vice versa really so um, one of the agencies does need to act as a sort of, um, sort of um, coordinating type role. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it tends to work quite well. You just need to get the agencies in the room at the beginning to make sure there aren't any ego issues. Mm. Um, and I think that, that comes together quite well. Um, now, now, the most important thing of all this, I tend to think, is specification process. Whether it's a web design project, an SEO project, anything, if you don't get the specification right, the rest of the project just falls apart. So if you're looking at specifications, the more time you spend on that part of the process and the more de- detailed that part of the process is, the more likely the rest of it is actually going to go to plan. Just purely because you're setting expectations, the more technical the project is. So in the case of web development and those kind of things as well, um, if you can get into having a functional specification that says what it does um, and a technical specification saying how it's going to work, what platforms it's going to work on, if it's a web project, uh, essentially what browsers it works on and those kind of things, mm. and then get into the basis of use cases. So things like uh, how, if you click here, this is going to happen, and wireframes, what's the page and the layout look like? Not designed, but step by step. Mm. Right, there's a lot of noise. Who's got a lot of noise? Yeah. Jeremy Paxman's just walked past outside and everyone's got very excited. (laughs) (laughs) Dear, oh dear, these television personalities, they just have this annoying habit of turning up in Brighton and ruining podcasts. we're recording a podcast, so can you (laughs) get lost, please? Sorry, Daniel, where were you? That's older, that's older. (laughs) This is the most chaotic podcast of all time. I think we need a recording light. I think that would help. Yeah, yeah, a big red light of some sort. Or recording, studio, which would, would be definitely beneficial. Yeah, or a recording teddy bear or something you put on your desk when you're recording. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, where were we, Dan? 
Um, yes, yeah, so a technical specification. So one of the key things to go for from this kind of website development side of things are use cases. So if you click here, this happens, you go to this page and so on and so forth. And then also wireframe diagrams. And it's very easy to produce interactive wireframes now as well. Daniel, so, just fill us in. What's a, what a wireframe? I've come across this before in development. Sure. Well, a wireframe is literally something that lays out what's going to be where on the page without having to go into the design side of things. Because... You don't want to get tied down in this process of it's going to be blue and shiny and so on and so forth. You really want to work out what the functionality and the usability of the page is. Mm. And then you start to worry about the, the graphic design side of it. So just getting the basic areas sorted out then. Yeah, but I think the thing is that it's really important to, to make sure expectations are equal. So when you get to the end of the project, you actually say, does it do this? Yes, it does. Ticks it off. Okay, the project's finished. Mm. Otherwise, you get into this horrible cycle of going, well, I expected it to do this. Oh, we can't do that as part of the budget. Mm. And it, nobody wins in those situations. Absolutely. So I think it's, it's really important to get the specification process right. Now, we touched on design there. And one of the really difficult things about design is how subjective it can be as well. So when you get designs done, you want two or three options to start with. You want to have a few different routes that you can go down. Make sure that your designer knows about usability. So they're not just designing because it looks pretty, but it actually makes sense from a usability perspective. Uh, but also... Get to the point. If you're going to choose a designer, okay, um, make sure you're letting them do their job. The problem is that, and I'm saying this from a client point of view now, as well, I've seen it happen all the time, mm. is that your design comes back and you say, well, could you move that bit there and this bit there? Okay, fine. Uh, uh, could you do this, do that? A design should be based on the fact that there's some usability behind it, so things should be in a place for a certain reason. Now, you can tweak things, but it amazes me still now how many uh, people like me as a client and MDs and chair people are experts in web design or think they're experts in web design mm-hmm. as well. So you don't want to get into this loop of just changing and changing a design so it just gets really bland. So pick a designer, let them do their job, make sure what they're doing is based on usability principles. But don't assume, uh, don't let people that don't know about design actually comment on that. I think that's one of the issues that you can get into. And you need to get to the point of letting the designer do their job a lot of the time. Any thoughts, anyone? I suppose it comes down a lot to um, sort of too many cooks as well. It's important Completely. to, from, from a client perspective, is choosing someone who is the project owner and the project sponsor who has the ultimate decision. Because otherwise you just Absolutely. get um, you know, decisions by committee. And, and mm. as you say, you end up with a bland result that doesn't actually achieve the objectives. And no one can even remember what the objectives were. So I think definitely choosing a project leader on the client side is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And just another thing on that as well, I mean, when you're doing the briefing process in the first place and people are um, saying, should we work with this designer or another? Quite often what will happen is the designer comes up with an initial kind of idea. Just because you don't like that particular idea, don't dismiss that designer because the point is they're just trying to come up with a concept to try and you know, get things moving isn't a reason to get rid of a designer. You need to look at their overall body of work before you make a decision. So a lot of designers won't do designs for a pitch meeting. They'll come up with concepts rather than actually come up with a design. Sure, yeah. So I think that's really the key things that have come out over the last couple of days, just little pointers. Um, I've actually written a little white paper on this as well. So what I'll do is I will pass the link through to Andy. We'll PDF it up and we'll make it available to everybody as well. And I shall put it in the show notes. Fantastic. Now moving on. Helen. You've got some thoughts on integrated search, and I believe, believe you've done a, talking of white papers, you've done a white paper as well, haven't you? Well, it's hot off the presses today, in fact. They've been um, beavering away, sort of developing these um, integrated search models um, for the last 
well, best part of the year, really. And it's sort of come together in this sort of um, white paper. Should we just, re- should we just refresh out the memories of our, of, of our uh, listeners? Uh, just um, tell us again, integrated search, what does this mean? Well, integrated search is really bringing together all the different sorts of um, parts of search, whether that be um, organic search, paid search or social search, Mm. and pulling them together into one integrated strategy. And uh, anyone that knows me is aware of my strange fascination with uh, marketing acronyms. And I'm always... She loves them. She really does. (laughs) Any opportunity I get, I I like to make things into memorable... um, acronyms that that spell other words i think i think memorable is is the uh, is the key here isn't it it's no good coming up with no exactly so i mean this is sort of based on things like ada going back um to the sort of advertising acronym of attention interest desire and action yeah and my other favorite one which is sostac which is a sort of strategic (laughs) that's not memorable though is it that's not I believe it's it's copyrighted now as well. Uh, and um, you can you can even get whole courses on it with people just sort of going into the details of of, of what it what it means. But that one stands for um, situational analysis, objectives, strategy, tactics, actions, and control. And so we've that's just getting a bit more. Sixteen copyright laws by uh, by this. Yeah, they're, 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 they're sending the heavies round, Helen. You better watch out. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah, that's that's well. Maybe there's um, some more models that we can talk about here. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, there there's there should be um, you know directions in the show notes for where you can find out more about these uh, (laughs) courses and uh, information on those particular models. Um, Nice, get out there, (laughs) and I'm sure you'll be emailing those to me as soon as the show, as soon as the recording finishes, Helen. Indeed, indeed, (laughs) excellent. And so, you know, as I say, I've been a big fan of these and um, I really wanted to find a, an easy and repeatable way of enabling integrated search campaigns and coming up with sort of qu- quick ideas that were going to actually deliver impact for clients. So what, I, what I've done is sort of taken a step back and really looked at um, what's important. And the three sort of things that I identified were that clients were looking for, um, they wanted to generate leads, they wanted to reduce their current pay-per-click spend, or um, horror of horrors with the sort of times that we're living in at the moment, they've maybe got some reduced resources and they're needing to get sort of more bang for their buck out of what they've already got. Um, And so the three models that I put together in these handy acronyms are THEME, which is for is basically the strategy for inc- increasing your leads. Yeah. Koala, which is my personal favourite, which is the strategy for reducing or reduced budgets. Mm-hmm. And then Caper, which is the strategy for reduced resources. So I'm sure you're dying to know what these stand well, yes, for. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, Theme, um, which is the one for increasing leads, stands for T for Tribes, which is basically pulling on Seth Godin's um, sort of um, connotation of audiences um, grouped by behavior. Mm. So it's a case of identifying and segmenting your website visitors by their sort of behavior and other characteristics and demographics and other data that you might have on them. Um, And then finding a hook, which is the kind of the main benefit of why they'd be visiting your website and what... um, what particular products would be interest of interest to each particular tribe? Mm. 
then creating some engaging content which would be something that they'll really want to link to and share um, amongst the rest of their tribe and then M is for marketing so deciding how to promote it mm. which could be across all channels so that's you know is it pay-per-click is it SEO is it social media is it maybe even utilizing you know your existing email marketing database or you know when we're talking about um, working with other agencies we often um, you know might be working with PR agencies and, and things like that as well so it's really taking your sort of campaign and getting as much value from it as, as you possibly can and then the final part is E for evaluation. So how are you going to measure the success of it? Um, so that fits nicely into the, the first model, which is theme. I'm impressed. You know what? I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm very cynical of such things normally. And uh, acronyms for the sake of acronyms drive me mad. But to be honest, that's actually very, very good because um, a lot of the things I've been talking about the last few days as well, I've just basically been taking, working out what is the hook and trying to work out the content you need to, to, to engage with those people. So I think that's actually really good advice. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that my beavering has, is paying off. Uh, I mean, we have been, um, I've been sort of testing this on a number of campaigns and um, I've got a little case study which um, is in, sort of goes into more detail in the white paper. We did something for Environment in Business, um, one of the LexisNexis websites. And by um, basically identifying that their sort of main tribes were environmental management consultants um, we, and then looking at the hook, which was, you know, these people want to stay ahead of their peers with the latest information on environmental management but the problem that we had was um, all the great content was behind the paywall so it's like what content can we come up with and we thought that we could extract sort of part of the sort of paid content into a free blog that could then drive um, people to the site so that's the engaging content mm. and then really sort of engaging market um, like th engaging marketing through blogger outreach and social networks and seeding um, some of the content and the posts onto third party sites was driving people and then subsequently links and it really took off and um, we were measuring the success of the campaign on traffic rankings and number of links and the traffic from natural search increased by 852% in four months. Um, the rankings increased um, for their top term, which is environment business, um, from position seven to position number one. And the number of links and also subsequent referring traffic also increased. So it was all round a success, which made me, um, which made it sort of uh, the the development of the the theme approach really sort of take hold and and then start to identify some additional places yeah i think i think it always comes back to that thing of just that original content idea is so important of just really engaging with people so i think mm. that's, a, that's and it's, i shall and it's be all about intrigued yeah. to read it yeah it's all about having a process you know there's you know lots the, the great thing about you know internet marketing and all the various things we talk about here on the podcast is there's loads you can learn about it online you know you can listen to the podcast you can go out and read blogs there's loads you can do but what where the difficult bit is is trying to work that into a system so you don't forget something and mm. you include every aspect and that's kind of why we try to use these systems it's why other organizations have their own kind of models where they do these but we put together this white paper because you know we've learned what we've gone through and we think that hopefully other people can kind of use that if they're doing their own marketing or they can use it as a suggestion for how they might be able to work with their agency and all those kind of 
things really it's just kind of sharing the information and the knowledge as we learn it really to try and push internet marketing forward really this is really mm. good helen can you can you very quickly tell us about koala and caper are they both k's or c's or um koalas with a k and capers with a c so koala in a nutshell is um keyword optimized for the keyword add some call to actions and then link it internally using that keyword in the anchor text and then approach third-party sites and get them to link to it. So that's Koala. You need to write a book, Helen. You should write a book <laughs> called Internet Marketing Acronyms by <gasps> Helen Trendle. <laughs> now you're talking. There you go. You, f- you heard it first on Internet Marketing. <laughs> what a caper. 101 Internet Acronym. Oh, what a oh, caper. Like what a perfect though, segue yeah. into the last acronym, caper. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this one's all about if you've got reduced resources um, and it's really utilizing, you know, if you've got a lot of content already. Um, so the first one is for content. Then A is for audience. So understanding who the content that you've already created is aimed at. Then platforms, discovering where those audiences that would enjoy that content can be found online. So is that through Facebook groups? Is that um, through Twitter? Um, Is it on Flickr? Um, Where are the platforms? And and then again, it's E is for engage. So getting out there, starting a conversation with them, um, driving links and, and traffic back to the content. And then finally, if you've already got this great content, what about repurposing it? So, you know, if you've already got um, a a series of blog posts, for example, then you could maybe put that together into a white paper. Or if you've, um, you know, got um, a white paper, you could maybe create a podcast out of it. Mm. So it's it's just really sort of getting the most value out of everything that you produce for your internet marketing. And if you're producing good content, um, then, you know, it it just will pay for itself again and again in terms of traffic, leads, and, and ultimately revenue. Well, you've helped me decide what this episode is going to be called. It's going to be called the Theme Koala Caper. <laughs> <laughs> Which segues beautifully onto Squidoo. Yeah, yeah. Another, another interesting name there. I don't think that one's an acronym. But um, yeah, no, that's, you know, as, as Helen mentioned there, that, you know, talking about Seth Godin and tribes, he's a person that we, we've actually got an interview coming up. You know, we had the, the, you know, the disastrous interview where I managed to make a complete fool of myself while interviewing Seth, which you might have heard a few episodes ago. I where don't, no, I don't think went... you should be so hard on yourself. I, th- I think technology <laughs> was against you that day. Yeah, yeah, no, this is it. But being um, that Seth's, you know, this you know, popular author that he is and, you know, runner of all these businesses, we've managed to schedule some more time in. So that'll be coming up in a couple of months' time. But what's an interesting sort of piece of news about, um, about Seth is one of his projects he works on called Squidoo. And they came up with quite an interesting idea um, this week called um, I can't remember the exact title of what they called it but it was um, Brands in Public basically Squidoo is a kind of website where lots of people can easily upload content it's a bit like Wikipedia but kind of mm. commercialised in a way and they, they had a good idea that well everybody's talking about you online in all these environments in forums in Google News in Twitter in Facebook in blogs in, in all these places they're talking about you so what they did is look, their idea was well for all the major brands we'll create a page for them that will centralise and aggregate that data and we'll allow and we'll, um, the kind of website owners to kind of contact back on there. But um, there was kind of a bit of a, um, you know, quite a lot of, um, you know, negative feedback that, um, that Seth got on that one, unfortunately. And they've mm. kind of tailed it back a bit now because I think what the problem was is the way that Squiddy were going to make money. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. From this is if you were Coca-Cola and you wanted to edit your Coca-Cola page, you had to pay Squiddy some money for that. So, I mean, an interesting idea that they've come up with there, but you know, definitely worth looking into potentially is, you know, can someone centralize where all this positive and negative feedback for your business is to help you kind of deal with that? So from that perspective, I think it's a good thing, but didn't quite happen as planned. So, mm. yeah, that's definitely an interesting one there for Squidoo that's worth a little bit of news there for people to pick up on as well. Um, another one, well, that following on from that is, um, as I was talking about Seth's interview there, and we've got a couple of exciting ones come up. One that I'm not going to jinx by saying who it is, but is, you know, you know after Seth probably my favourite marketing internet guru in the world so I won't say who he is but so you're not going to name drop then Kelvin no no but I'll curse it if I say that one but one that is you know looking very likely as well once the new version is of their software set out is um, Garrett from StumbleUpon the guys who set up you know one of you know one of the biggest social media bookmarking and voting sites in the world. He's going to be talking to us about their their new um, version of the site that's coming out in a, in, a, you know, in a couple of episodes' time. But the question I want to ask out to the listeners to try and get people involved is, who would you like us to interview in the show? We kind of yeah. go out and interview people we're really interested in, but I'd love to hear who you think we should interview. So if you can drop us a quick um, email via the, sh- the emails that's on the show notes, or if you use Twitter, use our hashtag, which is hash. IMPC and let us know who you think we should interview because we get a great response from people when we go out and ask them but it's kind of we don't know who you think we should be asking so yeah. if you've got anyone you think you know other pe- other listeners would love to hear from let us know that'd be brilliant and the final thing from me I'll be really quick on is um, a site definitely to check out is um, it's called Adly so ad.ly which is a service which will allow you to buy sponsored tweets so I can say Oh, Kelvin's got this new great blog post coming out. Um, I want those people to talk about it. So I pay people $50 to tweet that. And it's kind of interesting because it might change how people are using Twitter. If everyone starts doing that, it will ruin the service. But also, if you've got 20,000 people following you and once every three weeks you take 50 quid for doing it, is that such a bad thing? So a lot of debate going on about that. But if you've got lots of followers, it's definitely worth signing up for, I would have thought. I think this whole thing of you don't have to listen to somebody. You choose to follow them. So at the end of the day, if somebody is making loads of commercial messages, you're just going to chop them off the list. So Mm. it's in people's interest not to do it too often and only to talk about offers that are of interest to their followers to a certain extent as well. So I'm hoping to some extent it's going to become self-regulating 
Um, yeah, definitely. Because you you choose who you who you follow. So I think it's it's a fairly positive move. And I think um, there's people like Shoe Money doing it. And I think that yeah. if he overdoes it, he's going to lose followers. And he's completely aware of that as well. So it seems like quite a straightforward way to go. It's going to be very interesting to see what the feedback is from the listeners actually on this one. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, we've you know get some great feedback from us on IMP, you know, on that hashtag there. And yeah, I'd love to hear whether people think they, you know. So say you're following me on my Twitter account and I suddenly start promoting services, would that make you think less of me? I, I think if I'm choosing the, the – I'm not going to do it, but if I were, if I were choosing those products, hopefully you wouldn't think less of me. But, but would you? Because you know, they're the decisions that you know, people who are being followed have to make, really. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So now on the subject of okay. – um, uh, sorry, sorry, Dan, did you want to say something? I just want to put in a, uh, a quick plug for a website, if that's okay. Um, not for me, but from somebody else. Um, we might remember some time ago we interviewed Kieran Rogers, who is the marketing manager over at the UKSA. I remember Kieran down in the Isle of Wight. Yeah, absolutely. And Kieran is always on. I meet up with him from now, from now and again, and he's always pointing out things to me um, in digital marketing and software and those kind of things that I haven't come across at all. So I thought it'd be, he's just launched a new blog, and there's some really good tips and hints and things like that in there. So I think it would only be fair. So if you want to have a look at webshoutmarketing.net, uh, that's Kieran's new blog. And it, uh, it's well worth taking a look at. There's some really good kind of plugs for um, new bits of software he's come across and different websites. And I always learn something when I have a chat with Kieran. So uh, have a look at webshoutmarketing.net and see what you can learn. I'm just writing it down now so I can put it in the show notes. Webshoutmarketing.com, is it? Much. Dot net. Dot net. Dot net. Okay. That's now, just before we go on to the interview, can I just do a little, a little um, thing that I've been playing with this week? Uh, but just before I talk about that, um, just to remind us all here, all four of us on the team, we've had quite a bit of um, feedback. I've seen a few emails going backwards and forwards, so perhaps the next episode yeah. we need to um, cover a few of the questions I've been asking. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. There's a lot that's been coming through. I've been trying to respond to people's emails as they ask me the questions. Mm. So if anyone's got a question for me, yeah, drop me an email and I'll try and help out. But, um, yeah, it'd be good to share that the answers of those with everyone else listening as well. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make a note to, to put that in next, um, next month. Okay, nice one. So just before we go on, go on to the interview, which Kelvin will introduce in a second, I've been playing with Posterous. Has everyone played with Posterous? I've heard of it, but not used it yet. So yeah, I'd be interested to hear what your opinion yeah. is, Anne. Um I've had a quick play with it. Basically, what Posterous is, it's, it's like blogging. Let, let, let me, hang on, let, let, let me think of a good way of describing this. It's almost like an email gateway to a blog. So you email some text to your Posterous account and automatically puts it on your Posturus account as a blog. So, for example, if my name is Fred Bloggs, I might be fredblogs.posturus.com. Uh, but the really nice thing about Posturus is that if you attach an MP3, this is where it gets really interesting, if you attach mm-hmm. an MP3, it will embed it into the page with its own little nice player and give you an RSS feed. In fact, it gives you an RSS feed anyway. So basically, it's a very nice way of starting your own podcast. You get um, a, a gigabyte of storage. It's free. Also, if you attach one or more images to your email, uh, they get embedded very nicely in the page. If it's more than one image, you get a nice little sort of gallery type affair. It looks very, very interesting. So yeah, at least that's interesting because there's been the. So it's interesting because the functionality for WordPress to do similar thing has been around, 
for a little while you could always email your um, yes. your WordPress blog and it'd automatically get posted in it as well. But I think they've just taken it that step further that it, it's enough. actually doing some of the content and just kind of laying out in a much nicer way as well. And yeah, I mean, I think it's so easy to use from the the, the feedback I've had about it. You know, because WordPress is great. You know, we love it here. You know, we you know we we can't sing the praises enough. But for a lot of people, it's a bit too involved and too technical. Yes. Whereas I think this posterous is great if you're kind of you know you're interested in putting some content out there, but you don't want to spend four hours setting up a blog and then upgrading it for an hour every two months and that you don't want to do that you just want to kind of get the content out there you want to share your opinion and it's for that kind of thing that this looks really you know really interesting okay kelvin tell us about stephen waddington yeah um yeah it's a chap i interviewed a little while ago he's from speed communications which is a online pr company um well he founded rainier pr which then got bought um but or you know, became part of Speed's technology team. And he's kind of really been in the forefront of the UK's pushing online PR and dealing with kind of, he's come from an offline PR perspective, but dealing with kind of, you know, web companies, with SEO companies, with social media companies, and trying to see how they can work together. So I did an interview with him asking, you know, about sort of an introduction to online PR, because it's not one we've really covered a huge amount in the podcast fairly recently. So kind of a big introduction to it there. And it also asking him a few questions about The Apprentice, because that's kind of a bit of a a shared interest that we've got there, that Mm. we're both into The Apprentice. It's my claim to fame, Andy, that you might not know. Well, you've got many claims to fame, to fames, Kelvin. I got through to the second round of the second series of The Apprentice, but didn't turn up to my interview yeah i didn't turn up to the interview though so i didn't get turned down what uh, else have you yes. done kelvin that you haven't told us about <laughs> um well there's all kinds of stuff, president or no no not yet um but you know i am only 26 so you know it, who knows what could happen in the future i wouldn't put you a day over 35 <laughs> honestly oh uh, well it's, yeah, i don't know what that what says i mean maybe to get some you know that men moisturizer to look a little bit younger <laughs> okay fantastic so we'll play out with that interview but not before we have said goodbye now. So it was goodbye from Daniel Rouse. Goodbye. You were drinking then, weren't you, Daniel? I wasn't. Am I gargling at someone then? <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. And goodbye from Hel- Kelvin. Toodle Pip or Night Night John Boy or however you <laughs> want to do it. And it's, uh, it's goodbye from me. Thank you for listening to Internet Marketing. We will now play out with that interview where um, Kelvin speaks to Steve Waddington. Have a great time. See you soon. You're very much at the, the front of traditional PRs, sort of getting it in social media with your blog and you kind of where you, you know where your agencies have gone. What do you think is the biggest challenge for traditional PR people trying to work online? What you're seeing uh, at the moment is agencies attempting to retool and change the way they work uh, from a, a, a traditional PR standpoint to, to, to apply techniques online. The biggest challenge is that... that Traditional techniques just don't work, and the method of engagement online is just is, is, is very very different. It's quite subtle, mm. but it's very different. In the traditional traditional PR, um, dealt very much in the editorial world, so you're seeking to create influence uh, amongst uh, journalists and yeah. journalists and editors to get your client or get your business in print in traditional yeah. formats, such so newspapers and magazines. In the online world. Your relationship with your uh, the the person you're trying to to influence uh, is, is often direct, so there isn't the intermediary of, of working through a, a third party such as yep. a journalist, uh, yep. and, and your, your your relationship is much more one on one. Quite subtle, but it's an important uh, step change. Mm. Um, 
It does mean that from a, um, a marketing and PR point of view, it makes the whole aspect of PR a lot more measurable. Mm. Um, and, you know, I hope that's something we're going to be able to talk about as well. Yeah, and, and do you think then so that means that okay, there's going to be some people who are going to be able to retool, they're going to be able to re, you know retrain and understand the difference there. And is there just some people who are never quite can be able to make that shift? Not to say that traditional PR is going to die out in any time in the immediate future, but do you think some people are just able to make that change, and some people just never will be able to make that change? Oh, almost certainly. And a good model for this, a very good model indeed, at the, at the moment is is if you look in the uh, the publishing world. Yeah. The way that some magazines uh, and, and publishing houses and, and newspapers are completely embracing um, the you know the online world uh, and and re-engineering their businesses completely around it. And the Guardian, the Telegraph are all yeah. great examples of this. They tame their newsrooms and, and turn their newsrooms into uh, uh, constant twenty-four hour yeah. um, operations where stories are put out. Um, you know, as the break rather than to a print deadline. Um, and the same applies in PR. Uh, conversations are going on around individuals and their brands uh, mm. constantly. Uh, and, you know, you need to be engaged in that. Um, almost certainly, uh, some businesses and PR businesses will not make that transition. Um, there's two things happening at the moment. In the PR industry, we've got this discontinuity, let's call it, that, that's been created by digital, that forcing us all to re-examine our business models and, and yes. make that jump. There's also the recession. The recession, you know, unless you you recognise and um, take the appropriate steps within your business to manage your business around that, um, you know, means that again, you know, a wave of a wave of businesses are falling away. You only need to look at the, the media. For the PR sector, and you see every single week, you know, there's announcements of, of redundancies in businesses. Yeah. But there's also, interesting, there's also new businesses setting up to take that place, yeah. which is hugely exciting. And, um, you know, digital business, digital PR businesses tooled up purely for, for, for this new world. Mm. Brilliant. Um, so one area of kind of social media and digital that um, PR really seems to have got and be, you know, taking advantage of is Twitter. Is, is there something particularly about that technology and that platform that, you know, appeals to the PR people, would you think? Yeah, so Twitter has become a kind of intermediary tool, a, a tool, if you like, on the way to, to wholesale digital engagement. And um, much of the work that we do continues to be around, uh, sorry, much of the work we, and we, I mean, the online PR yeah, industry yeah, yeah. do is, is in still engagement with journalists and, yeah. and influencers and analysts and, uh, mm. and editors. Twitter provides a very deep channel to build those relationships um, mm. directly with journalists. It also provides an excellent channel for a journalist. If you're a journalist receiving two or 300 pitches a day from PR people, you don't look at your email box. Um, if you're receiving those pitches by uh, DM through Twitter in you know 140 characters, then it's a lot easier to, to sift through stuff and, and find stuff. So, so it works to journalists, it works to the PR community as well. Um, but but it's it, it's just that it's a tool for pitching. Now the next stage is to go beyond that and use Twitter uh, to to. For PR purposes to connect directly with the audiences, and that's yeah. what the industry is going. That's yeah. And I suppose the advantage of that kind of, for the journalist's point of view, is by you know on their Twitter list, it's selective who you, you know you can kind of 
you know, with yeah. email you can't ban people, can you? Whereas your Twitter list, you're only going to get DMs from people you follow. So there's a kind of a, you know, it, yeah, you remove that barrier of spam there that I suppose you get in email. For a journalist, if I was a journalist now, I'd love it. It's fantastically democratic. You, yeah. Yeah, you earn reputation in a journalist network um, through your, your through creating good will and the quality of the stories that you pitch to that yeah. journalist. Yes, if the journalist gets pissed off with you, they just blank you, um, and, and you know use the tools within Twitter to, to block people. Mm. Um, and you know, therefore, um, it, it's actually driving up standards in the industry. Um, the other thing is, it's, it's very quickly to out bad practice mm. uh, as a journalist, and you see examples every day of journalists doing that where they receive mm. full pitches. Um, no, and they, uh, it's, it's fairly brutal, but, mm. you know, they, they share those, with, yeah. um, they share those, uh, with their network. So, so it's great. It's, it's, Twitter's absolutely mm. driving up standards in mm. the traditional PR industry. And you, you talked a little bit before about measurements. So what's your top tips and some of the, you know, metrics that you use to measure the success of online PR campaigns? Do, do some of the offline metrics that you would use transpond quite well or do you need a completely different set of um, no, you know tools to measure no you need another you need another set of tools and, and let's let's be frank about this the pr industry has been grappling with measurement for the last 30 years yeah and it hasn't it hasn't solved it now if you move we, we move this is the beauty and this is what i get very excited about we're moving from a time where where PRs traditionally seek to, to influence editorial within the print world it's now moving online yeah Within the online publishing world and and networks, um, now you can absolutely, to a very very granular level, measure that um, like very very simply mm. um, using tools that that you know Google provides absolutely freely. You, you, mm. We now could, could go and look at Google Analytics and work out how many people had searched for B2B marketing podcasts yesterday. Yeah. Um, and, and very quickly create a program to try and, try and direct some of that tra- traffic to your own website. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's incredibly exciting. Then we can measure that. At the end of the day, once we've run set our campaign, we can look at how much of that traffic we managed to capture. The beauty about search is when people are looking through, through for, for a service or a product for a search engine, they're motiva- motivated by it. So, you know, you know that they want to buy. So, so it gives you very, very, very good level of measurement criteria. The PR industry, and that, you know, this is what we're doing, we've done with our business. The PR industry historically has always had issues in, ga- in engaging with, with the marketing community because the marketing director within a, a business wants to know what return they're going to get for a yeah. given level of investment. Um, you know, you stick, spend so many pounds uh, of input, how much am I going to get in sales? Yeah. Now, PR has always talked about influence and, 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 and creating reputation around brand and has always been very, very nervous about sales. Now, actually, using even very simple tools that, that, that Google provides, you, you can very quickly show uh, the impact of a campaign on, yes. on absolute sales. So at its crudest level, uh, we're, we're, we're doing that. 
and mm. you move beyond that, then you know you're getting you're getting into a whole level of the whole debate around social analytics and the measurement tools around yeah. that. And again, you know, we're just beginning to break new ground in this area. Yeah, and for anyone on the podcast listening who's interested in those kind of, you know, how to measure social media, there's Measurement Camp, which is kind of a, um, a collaborative effort that's going on in the UK to kind of come up with some standards, which is really worth, you know, either going along to their meetings or at least tracking what they're up to on their website. So I definitely recommend having a look at that. So onto a bit of a, you know, bit more serious um, note here, Stephen. I know you're a big fan of The Apprentice um, in, in, in the UK. Is there, do you think that that's, as, you know, as business people, as digital marketers, as PR people, there's much that we can learn from that, or is it just kind of a bit of light-hearted entertainment? The Apprentice is good. The reason I like The Apprentice is, is because it's one of the very few programmes on mainstream TV in the UK that shines a window on, on business and entrepreneurship. Uh, yeah. And, there are, and brings that to a, to a mainstream audience, and for that reason alone, it's incredibly powerful. Um, and we'd love to see more of it, and that, you know, programming on, on business programming in the UK is generally fairly poor. And, you know, the reason I'm, uh, as I say, I'm a big fan is, is for that reason. You, you know, the, the, you look at the Dragon's Den genre. Dragon's Den again is is incredibly popular. Um, you don't actually learn a great deal for, from. Mm that format because it's fairly brutal whereas in The Apprentice every week there's a specific task there's a spe- absolutely specific set of learnings from that task and it's almost as if you know a, a, an MBA is being played out in real time on, yes. on, on, on telly and you know frankly I'd recommend <laughs> that anyone considering does doing an MBA has a look at The Apprentice because you know, the, 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 the amount you learn is yeah. incredible you've got to look quite hard um, yeah. you know, analyse but, but it's there Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, and yeah, just a final question now then, Stephen. Um, is there kind of one sort of, not instant, but you know, quite actionable, quick thing, online PR tip that you'd recommend listeners to go out and do in a step to take, really, that you know, might not be that difficult, but you know, it's something you can go out, do straight after listening, and that's going to have you know, great um, influence on their online PR efforts? Three very, very, very simple things. Yep. The first is look at Google, Google Analytics and Google Trends. Um, motivated buyers are using Google to search every single day for the products and services that you are selling. It's very, very straightforward to, to build a program to, to direct some of that traffic to your site. Yeah. Second thing, um, blogging. We, we, we talked a little bit about blogging. Uh, blogging is a medium that you can absolutely control. If you create a blog off your own domain, your own, um, yep. your own URL, and, and post to it regularly with topical content around keywords that are going to drive traffic. It will have an incredible influence on the amount of traffic you generate. You then use that to build up uh, a, a network of, of inbound links, um, and, and, and your search rankings will will rise. Thirdly, and this is the whole area that really excites me. Um, We've seen a lot, of, a lot of talk about social networking. Social networking is a, a, a business-to-consumer um, channel. Actually, the potential, I believe, is, is a huge potential exists for, for business, business-to-business. Uh, and the brands, look at the brands that are creating communities around themselves, and they're yes. the brands in the future that are absolutely going to win. Cheers, that Stephen. It's much appreciated. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. Thank you. Right. Nice one. Thanks, uh-huh. mate. Bye.
Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would really like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, send them to info at ai-digital.com and feel free to send in MP3 files as well and we'll play them. If you're a subscriber, we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this show delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes. Just search under the Business and Marketing and Management categories. Or you can find us at FeedBurner at feeds.feedburner.com slash academyim. We'd also encourage you to leave comments on iTunes. Well, this is Andy White signing off, wishing you the best until we see you next time on Internet Marketing. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.